brings us the word. Thanks, guys. Hey, did anybody notice we had a DJ on this morning? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool, huh? You guys can be seated. Thank you very much. <laughs> DJ M. <laughs> he, he can now be into that. Guys, I want to show you something. Um, most of you would know my son, James, but let's have a look at this. Yeah, oh, I know. Um, <laughs> I know. Just indulge me for a bit. This is my son, James. Um, well, let's have a look at the next slide because this is me as a child and James. Yeah. <laughs> That's where he gets those curls from. You can see the resemblance there. And the next one is Brendan when he was little and James there. See, there's most people say to me, wow, he really looks like his father. But then you see that photo of me as a kid and those, the curly hair, the big eyes, there's that. But I still see, I see that resemblance there too. And also have a look at this one. This is my brother Ben and James. There's a lot of family. He had the, the blonde curls too and a bit of a mullet thing going on there. We've, we've cut James's hair. We're not letting that happen. Um, but anyway, you know, people um, often see that family resemblance in, in families. Um, Funny that. <laughs> Brendan said to me, you're going to talk about how you look like your father, but you've got your mother's eyes. So, you know, in a lot of families, we all we have to do is look at people and you go, oh, you look just like so-and-so. Someone told Dad and I last week that we look like we're family. Um, but some t- <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> Um, but, you know, sometimes it's not just um, an obvious the way that we look. Sometimes our mannerisms and the things that we say are just like our parents or our siblings. Um, because when we're related, we share a family resemblance. That is the title of my message this morning. I wasn't just photo- showing you photos of my son because I think he's cute, but I do. But um, family resemblance is what we're talking about today. So last week we began our series in Romans, um, A Transformed Life is the name of this series. And the final instalment will be after Greg French next week and then I'm going to talk to you the third week and we're going to look even more at this transformation idea. Um, but last week we looked at self-righteousness and how it's misplaced confidence um, and how putting confidence in ourselves to be good enough for God instead of having confidence in Him and what He's done is not what He wants us to do. <laughs> um, and, and we looked at how this leads to disunity and to turning others away from Him and it, turns, it actually leads us away from God too um, and it takes us away from our true identity. And when we have a change of thinking from this is what I'm supposed to do to be good enough for God to I'm doing this because of what God has done for me, then we realize that we're actually just as sinful as everyone else and um, we're in no place to judge their worthiness in God's eyes and we can then be transformed by God into who he wants us to be. Who is that? That is someone who is a child of God, part of his family and that's what we're going to explore today. So um, to start off, this week we're, we're looking at the side of us that does wrong things, that does ba- our, our bad habits, if you will, our sins. Um, so as Christians, we, we all still sin. Am I right? Yep. It's not just me. Good. <laughs> so, you know, you can, you can give your life to Jesus and your life can still be a bit of a mess. Um, you can still be out of sorts. You can still feel like things aren't working. Have you ever felt like God is working in other people's lives and not yours? That you're doing all the things you're supposed to do. You're going to church, you're reading your Bible, you're praying your prayers, and and it's just not working. 
Uh, Georgia the other week, she didn't know I was going to tell this story, um, but she's been doing some pottery with my grandpa, who's part of this pottery club, so she, he was teaching her how to, how to make a pot, and she went, it takes quite a few weeks to do this process, so she went one week and she, she started making this pot, and the next week she went back, and she was, it had dried out a bit, and she was carrying it somewhere, and she dropped it, and it's broken. You know, do you ever feel like you, you're, you're doing all the right things, but you, then you drop it, you drop the ball, and you've sinned? Yeah. Yeah. You've done something bad, it's, you feel like it's ruined. You may find yourself doing this time and time again. In Romans 7, Paul talks about how he does what he doesn't want to do, and what he wants to do, he doesn't do. You know, he knows Jesus, he has a new nature, he wants to do what's right for God, but still finds himself doing things that he doesn't want to do. And not doing the things that he wants to do and that he knows will please God. Romans 8, which we're going to look at today, shows how we can allow God's spirit to transform us as we have the battle between our sin um, and our desire as Christians to now do what God wants us to do. So let's take a look at Romans 8. Romans 8 verse 1 says, So now there is no condemnation to belong to Christ Jesus. I just want to pause there because I think it's important to understand that before we go on. It says there is no condemnation. So this means that we're free from punishment. There isn't any condemnation at all. It no longer exists for us as Christians. If we don't understand that, then we obey God out of fear and duty. I heard it explained like this recently. The difference between an unbeliever sinning and a believer sinning is like the difference between someone breaking the law of the country and a husband doing something that hurts his wife. He's not breaking the law, but he's damaging the relationship with his wife. It's no longer about the law for us, but it is about relationship and our relationship with God. What is that relationship? Let's go on and read and I'll explain. Romans 8, 2 goes on to tell us, at 2 to 3 to 13 goes on to tell us that we're freed from the power of sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. The death of Jesus defeated sin legally, and we seek to fulfill the law as we live, and the Spirit empowers us to obey the law. So verse 2 goes, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent our son, sorry, he sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you, so that though your body 
will die because of sin. The Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. So we learnt last week that there's no hope in ourselves for our salvation. Our but as we also just heard, there's actually also no hope in ourselves. For in ourselves, there is our sinful nature, which cannot, no matter how hard we try, be obedient to God. But when we live in accordance with the Spirit, when we have our minds set on what the Spirit desires, then we have life and peace instead of being dead to sin. Notice in verse 6 it says, But letting the Spirit control your mind. The overcoming of sin in our lives begins in our minds. That's why God wants to transform us into a new person by changing the way we think, which is Romans 12 too. So if we're to let the Spirit control our mind, we need to think about, and not just think sometimes, but be preoccupied with the things of the Spirit. The rest of chapter 8 tells us the things of the Spirit that we're supposed to be preoccupied with. And it's all about our relationship with God, what our standing is with Him now and what that means for us, that we are now part of His family. If we go on, verse 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received, God, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba Father, for His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children, and since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share His glory, we must also share His suffering. So God has transformed us from slaves to our sinful nature, into his children by adopting us and giving us his spirit. Some versions uh, use the word, instead of adoption, they talk about sons or sonship. And even though it might seem more appropriate to use the word children because that covers both men and women, there was actually something quite powerful about Paul using the word sonship there and talking about sons. Adoption was customary in Roman society, and it was usually there was a wealthy adult who had no children, had no heirs to his estate, so he would adopt an heir. So typically this was male due to how society worked at the time, but here Paul is applying this verse, sorry, Paul in this verse is applying this male privilege to both men and women. He's talking about... Um, so when he's saying he, our adoption to God as sons, he's saying that we get that privilege that at the time it was something that only sons get. So as Christians, we're now his heirs. And like it was really quite revolutionary for Paul to take that masculine institution and show us that in Christ it is for all of us. So women shouldn't be resented being called sons any more than men shouldn't resent being called part of the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. So, you know, it's just a metaphor and it's quite sort of being sexist when we truly understand what it is. So in Roman society, when adoption occurred, several things were immediately true of the new son. First, his old debts and legal obligations were paid. 
That's a good parallel right there. When we're adopted by God, our debts because of our sins have been paid. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The other things that happened were he got a new name and was instantly heir. And his new father became liable for all his actions. And the son had obligations to honor and please the father, his father. So we receive God's spirit when he adopts us. And it's not something we've earned. He's freely given it to us and given us this place in his family. But with that comes privileges, comes assurances, and comes a family resemblance. Now, I'm not talking about our physical bodies. We don't somehow suddenly morph into all looking the same and people go, oh, you look just like Jesus. Some people you do sometimes see people and you go, well, they look like the image that we put out there of Jesus. Um, But, you know, people don't say, oh, you look like God. Oh, you look like all the other Christians I've met. Everybody in your church, you all look the same. That's not what I'm talking about. But when we live by the Spirit, we become more like Jesus. So I want to talk about five things that we receive in sonship as his adopted children. I'm just going to give you a pre-warning as well that at some stage, I think in about eight minutes' time, it's 11 o'clock and it is Remembrance Day today, so we are going to stop and have a minute silence. Um, so just a pre-warning, and I'm hoping that doesn't come right at the end of my message when, when we're halfway through ministry time. But anyway, we'll continue on and just letting you know that that will happen. So five things that we receive in sonship. Number one, honour of the family name and inheritance. You know, an easy way to tell people are in the same family is generally by their family name. Um, We become part of God's family and we call ourselves Christians, Christ followers. And people recognise and they attribute traits to us, to to that name. Unfortunately, sometimes they can be bad ones. Some Christians give us a bad name. Let's not be those Christians. You know, do you, do you want to do that to your name? You know, when, when you have this privilege of being called God's, God's child, a co-heir of Christ, a Christian, do you want to feel it an honor to have that name? And do you want to give that name honor in return? You know, slaves, they have no honor. They have to work and they have to obey. But in sonship, as adopted children, as part of God's family, we're asked to join in the family work. Some families share a resemblance in what they do. You know, they follow on the family name with the family business. We're not forced to work, but we're invited to join God's family for his purposes of completing us and others in righteousness. We're asked and given the honor of being like Jesus and in sharing his love, his message of salvation through what he did. And in all this, we inherit the kingdom of God. We share in God's glory. There is something that we can look forward to when God's plan is completed. Number two is security and assurance, or as we talked about last week, confidence. As an employee or a servant or a slave, basically you obey out of fear. You know, you'd lose your job or you'd be severely punished if you didn't obey. But a child doesn't fear the loss of relationship. You know, when I was much younger, I had one of those dreams where you wake up crying. Has anybody ever had those? <laughs> um, and it was, it was silly, but I had this dream that dad left our family. And I can't remember the exact details of it, but I woke up and I just knew dad had left and it was my fault. I had done something wrong. And it was something stupid. It was to do with chewing gum. I, I don't know if I was told I wasn't allowed to chew the gum and I did anyway, or whether I did something 
stuck it somewhere. I don't know. It was to do with chewing gum. And he was upset with me and he left the family. And I woke up crying because dad had left. It was ridiculous because why would something so trivial cause him to leave us? You know, I'm sure I did much worse things than that in real life. I'm sure Ben did much worse things than that in real life. (laughs) But, you know, we didn't ever think that he was going to leave us because we misbehaved. You know, we felt secure in our relationship with our father. And we feel the same as God's children. We don't need to have fear because we are secure in our relationship with God. We've, been, we've not been given a spirit that makes us fearful slaves. We have been made his children by his spirit in us that gives us confidence. When we're slaves, we have no confidence. When we're relying on ourselves and trying to do the right thing to work or earn our salvation, We don't have any confidence in God. But when living by the Spirit, we become who we're truly meant to be, a child of God. Because Jesus beat death, our life is sure. We can know, as it says further on in Romans 8, that nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from God's love. We have something inside of us that reminds us that we're saved because of something that God already did. Jesus already died. He already paid the price. It's because of who he is and what he's done. It has nothing to do with who we are and what we've done. Number three is intimacy. In verse 15, it says, Now we call him Abba Father. The word Abba basically translated means daddy. So, And I also love how it says we call him, or in other versions it says, we cry, Abba Father. So it's not just something we say, it's a call or a cry. It's something that comes from a deep emotion. We become filled with love for God. James loves his daddy. And when he wants his help or wants to show him something or just wants his attention, you guys have been here in the services where I'm back there with James, Brendan's sitting here and he sees him and he's just going, Dada, Dada, Dada. You know, he cries, Dada, when he wants his daddy to, to, to pay him attention, to help him with something, to do something. And we can do this with our Father in heaven when you need his help. Maybe you just want his attention or, or affection. You want to talk, you want to tell him about your day. You know, he's not some big bad boss or master that we have to go, down, go to with our heads bowed and our knees down as we approach. He's Father, he's Abba, he's Dada. <laughs> And that's not to say that kneeling to him is is wrong. There's great power in that too, as he's God Almighty and he's not but but he's not this glorified king that we don't know. He's someone we can know intimately. And it's because it's not about the law anymore, it's about the relationship with our Father. Our desire not to sin comes from our desire not to damage our relationship with our Father. Even though we know he won't leave us or punish us, we still want to do We don't want to disappoint him. We want to do what's going to please him. So we need to start to see sin as something that, even though we're free from it, instead of seeing it, sorry, as something that even though we're free from it, we still do it. We need to see it as something that we desperately don't want to do. We don't want to disappoint God. We We want to run away from sin. We want to live up to our father's expectations and we want to make our family name look So we begin to fight a battle to stay away from temptation to sin. As soon as we start trying to justify things or find a way to push the boundaries of sin, we're playing a dangerous game. And a Christian doesn't play games with sin. 
You don't aim to get as close as possible to it without crossing the line. You know, have you ever seen a child who's told not to touch something or, you know, you're not allowed to go over there into that room or whatever and they, they kind of come up and say, this, not allowed to cross this line here. You know, you're like, oh, how close can I get? You're not allowed, don't touch the, don't touch the iPad. <laughs> like, hover around it as close as possible. That's not how we need to behave with sin. It's not about trying to get as close as possible without crossing the line um, <laughs> and just not going past a certain point. We need to be childlike in our faith, yes, but not childlike in our dealings with sin. Sin is not something that you wean yourself off of either. It's not something you go, I can keep under control. You get as far away from it as possible. (laughs) Don't just avoid sin, avoid temptation, the things that lead to it. And we do all this because of God's spirit in us, because because we love our Father. Okay, so number four is discipline. Now, I know this one sounds less positive. We don't like the sound of discipline. It might conjure up thoughts of punishment, but discipline isn't a bad thing. Good fathers discipline their children. Now, remember I said there's no condemnation, no eternal punishment. So discipline is not about punishment. Yes, punishment can be used in methods of discipline, but that's, that's not what we're talking about. Jesus already paid that price, remember? We're talking about discipline as a training that corrects, moulds, or perfects the mental abilities and moral character. A good father will lovingly discipline. It's not about using power to be in control. It's about guidance and correction. Children learn their morals and behaviours from their parents, and what they don't allow or do allow is acceptable behaviour. God wants to see us resembling Jesus in our behaviour, and that involves discipline. That's how we get our family resemblance. Did I say I was going to tell you five things? Oh, yeah, there's only four. That's it. <laughs> I'm looking, where's number five? There is no number five. <laughs> four things. <laughs> so when we resemble Christ, one less thing for you guys to worry about is that we think, when, when we resemble Christ, we become more like him in our characters and our attitude. People look at us and they see resemblance to other Christians, to God and to Jesus. The same way that when you looked at those photos, you saw a family resemblance. People see that in the things that we do, the way that we act. Let's just take a look at the screen. I've made a little list to sort of sum this up for you. So on one side, we've got um, what slavery looks like, what it looks like to be in slavery. The other, in sonship, when we're adopted into God's family. So in slavery, there's fear. In sonship, we have confidence. In slavery, we have to work and there's no honour. When we're God's children, we're honoured and we're invited to join the work. In slavery, there's insecurity. In sonship, we have security. There's condemnation in slavery. In sonship, we have forgiveness. In slavery, we're forced to obey, but children of God obey out of love. There's punishment in slavery, but we receive loving correction. Slavery is just looking out for yourselves, but when we are in the family of God, we're looking out for others in his family and other people to come and join the family. We love one another. John 13, sorry, yeah, John 13, 35 says, you love, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That's our family resemblance. I want to ask you this morning, do you resemble a son of God? Do you live in confidence in him? 
Do you live in security knowing that you're forgiven? Or are you obeying out of love? Uh, sorry, not or. Are you obeying out of love? And are you also loving others? Is that what people see in you? Is your mind set on these things of the spirit or is it on the things of the flesh? If we're free from sin and under sonship, why are still, some of us still acting like slaves? Why are you living in fear? Why are you living in insecurity of who you are? Why are you holding yourself to strict compliance of rules instead of obeying God in a place of joy and love, knowing that you're forgiven when you mess up? Why are you still playing games with sin? The spirit we've received does not make us fearful slaves. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. We've received God's spirit. He's adopted us. We have authority to use his power. We can be assured in his love and show love to others. We have a sound mind, or in some versions it says self-discipline, which means it's a kind of self-discipline that comes from continuous reliance on the grace that God gives to people who trust in him completely. If you feel like you're living bogged down in slavery, are you spending your life in anxiety? Are you speaking negatively? Are you stressed out? Are you afraid of handling things alone? You can be set free here today. You can take on God's family resemblance. I just want to invite the band to come up. We're going to sing a song. Many of you may know it's called No Longer Slaves. And as we do that, you know, we're singing about how we're no longer slaves, but we are children of God. If you want to shed your bondage, your sinful nature, and come to a true understanding of what it means to be a child of God, then I'm going to invite you to come down on the altar as we sing. Why don't you all stand right now? This isn't a salvation altar call. I'll do one of those after. Although, if you want to come down here and meet God as we sing this, you're welcome to do that too. But I'm talking to every Christian here. Do you want to stop acting like a slave and start resembling your father? then take a step out on the altar as we sing this song. Yes, you could do this in your seat. You could stand back there and say, God, let your spirit transform me into the glory of sonship. But you know, when we, when we do something physically, when we step out physically, something happens spiritually. So that's why I want you to come out the front. And, and also it gives encouragement to your fellow brothers and sisters here to step out too. We're a family, we're in this together. So if you want to declare this morning, I'm no longer living in fear, in insecurity, in bondage, but instead I am God's child with my mind being transformed, then let's make your way out here as we sing this morning. Can I just get you all to close your eyes while we're here? And maybe you're here today and you don't actually know God as your Father and Jesus as your Saviour. Maybe everything you've today is brand new, but good news. And maybe, maybe you've heard about Jesus paying for your sins before, but you haven't actually made a decision to believe that and to follow Him, to begin that relationship with God as your Father and have you as His adopted child. So I want to give you an opportunity to begin that relationship with Him today. Romans 10.8 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So that's, if that's something you want to do today, then I just invite you right now to raise your hand. No one's looking around. This is just for me to know if there's anyone here and then we can pray a prayer together and do just that. Confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died on the cross and paid the price for our sin. 
so that we could be adopted into His family, be called children of God and know our loving Father. Is there anyone today who wants to do that? Just raise your hand right now. All right, you can open your eyes. Why don't you head back to your seats, wonderful children of God. Let's all remember as we go out into our week that we're to fix our mind on these things that I've spoken about today, the things of the Spirit, the things our Spirit desires for us, that we are not fearful slaves. We are children of God. We are led by the Spirit, and all who are led by the Spirit are children of God.